welcome back to Blue Skies and Green Pastures. I've got a super interesting, a little bit shocking, maybe a little terrifying topic today. And the topic is post-humanism, the latest threat to your child's education and humanity as we know it. What is post-humanism? Well, let's start at the beginning. There is a war raging for your child's mind or maybe your grandchild or maybe your mind the battle is between those who are trying to preserve truth humanity and freedom and those who believe that humans are little more than parasites on the earth that must be managed by experts wielding swords of science and behavioral manipulation also known as propaganda and misinformation and education. Forget about fighting racist and divisive critical race theory. That threat has already been recognized as and is in the process of being neutralized. The real danger to our life and your child's education is being kept hidden from parental eyes. It's so outside of what most of us would consider reality that you may think that I'm making this up, but I'm not. Everything I say, I found it on the internet, and these are not in YouTube videos or conspiracy websites. These, all this came directly from the sources themselves. I am talking about the theory of post-humanism or the philosophy of post-humanism, the desire to uh, institute a post-humanist world. And this philosophy says that we should stop thinking of the world from a human-first viewpoint and reframe our consciousness to consider animals, nature, and other non-humans such as transhumans, to be equally important and interconnected. Posthumanism is not necessarily about transhumans, which would be technologically modified people, people who started out as humans, but they would be included on the platform as being considered equal to actual humans. They use a lot of um, interesting words, and one of the words they use is more than human. But I'm not going to go too deep into all that, because there's just too much. Posthumanism is more concerned with removing man from his God-given job of ruling and reigning over creation. A related concept to posthumanism is the idea of agency and giving agency to everything, even inanimate objects, such as things, <laughs> and saying that these objects have trajectories, propensities, or tendencies to, of their own, like humans. The agenda of post-humanist is hidden like a poison in public policies and schools carefully worded 
to hide or omit the inevitable outcome that will come from equating non-humans with humans. And we will get to that outcome in a little bit. Now, this philosophy is working hard behind the scenes to find ways to remake the education system's methods and message. It has already influenced many people in the field of education. These people seek to teach children the philosophy of post-humanism and is a natural result of the brainwashed climate movement blended with feminism, critical theory, the degrowth movement, the animal rights movement, and new age religion. The end game of blending all these movements and the ultimate thing that they have in common is the rejection of God as our authority. Instead, these people, these post-humanists and all their related groups, want to give God's authority to a universal force that supposedly contains all things, including our own minds, nature, and non-living things. Another word for a similar idea is pantheism. However, not everyone um, likes the idea of calling post-humanism pantheism because they don't want anything to do with God. So even though what they are saying is a type of pantheism, they don't call it that. Their, their definition might be more like naturalism, which puts nature at the center of the universe and that is the ultimate goal of post-humanism. Even though they talk about putting everyone on an equal playing field, when you read the things they say, you can tell that they actually want to make nature superior to man. Uh, they, they don't like humans. So no matter the details, there's no place in any of these theories for a God that is sovereign over man or that had anything to do with creating humans and nature. Because remember, these people believe in evolution. And I would say that post-humanism is the logical um, outgrowth of evolutionary theory. So now, since we know that evolution is the dominant force in colleges and public schools from kindergarten up, it is not hard to believe that post-humanism will one day be the dominant perspective. Now, as I said, you will not find this information on mainstream websites or YouTube videos. I did find a few YouTube videos um, when I searched for post-humanism, but all of them were lectures intended for an academic audience. So this may be the first thing that you are hearing about this idea of post-humanism. I, I really think that this is the most dangerous and... Um, it's a, it's a force that is underlying 
everything that is happening right now with the climate agenda, the so-called energy transition, the sabotaging of businesses, and even possibly the COVID pandemic, because everything is about um, reducing the number of humans and shutting down capitalism, shutting down the established supply chain. And so you can see that there is a battle between people who who are trying to, um, who want progress and prosperity for humans versus people who want to re- return the earth to its natural state, which would be, you know, um, sending us back into the dark ages. Or, as you will hear in a quote from um, the a man um, making us all live in climate-controlled cities so the earth can heal. So you might not be surprised to learn that the UN is greatly involved in this post-human remaking of the worldview of the world. And this is what it says on their website. Now, this is the UNESCO.org. And I'm going to play a quote from a speech from the director of the UN, the UNESCO. And this was at the United Nations Summit on Biodiversity. But this is a quote on their website on an article called Realizing Rights of the Child through environmental education. And this is what it says. Achieving sustainable development. Okay, sustainable development is central to post-humanism. Achieving sustainable development requires a global change of mindsets, beliefs, and behaviors. And education is vital to this task. Education for sustainable development offers a framework for transforming learning to reorientate the human relationship with the natural environment and prepare individuals to take informed decisions and make responsible choices for environmental integrity. It builds the skills and attitudes needed to question the way we think the values we hold, and the decisions we make in the context of sustainable development. In these sites, alternative ways of life are already a reality, where UNESCO takes tangible steps to inspire change by building on all of the fields of its mandate. Firstly, we use education, science, local and indigenous knowledge to restore the relationship between people and nature, including by restoring degraded ecosystems and oceans. We also work to conserve the harmony of the ecosystems by encouraging their sustainable use. And lastly, because young people are leading the way when it comes to biodiversity and climate change, we are amplifying the power of youth, providing open access to a wide range of knowledge and sharing innovative solutions.
as this shows, by building on common values such as education, science, culture. So just in that brief paragraph, you can see that this education is about changing mindsets, beliefs, behaviors, reorientating our relationship with nature and making us question the way we think and the values we hold, <laughs> all related to sustainable development. So going, going to another article, this one, um, let's see what the name of it was. Um, the Posthumanist Approach to Human-Child-Centered Education. And what they were saying is that what they needed to change education because it should not be child-centered. So it's a very long article, and it's all about posthumanism. And that was actually the first article that I read. And here's just a little bit from the article. The author of the article is lamenting that the curriculum is not sufficiently post-human. This is what he says. They are totally oriented toward humans and pupils without a single word about nature and without acknowledging the multiple interrelations of human, non-human, and more than human beings. As if we are separated and as if our survival does not depend on the survival of non-humans and more than humans. That was the quote. They go on to critique the curriculum and find multiple faults based on the complaint that animals in nature are not portrayed as equal in value to humans. And they go on to criticize the current methods and goals of STEM education, <clears throat> claiming that it is market-driven and too human-centered and doesn't recognize the interconnectedness of humans and non-humans. Now, do not make the mistake of thinking that there is nothing wrong with improving how we treat nature, because that is true, but that is not what they are saying. The goal is not to simply improve the treatment of nature. The goal is to lower the value of humans, this is a post-Christian evolutionary theory that rejects the idea that God created man in his image. These demonically controlled angels of light are part of the Gaia religion, even if they don't know it. I doubt that most of them are even aware of how they are being used to prepare the world for this new religion of earth-centered worship. And although they claim to deplore the idea of humans using animals for their own needs, they are not afraid to use indigenous religion and culture as a, as a foundation of why humans should be, um, why post-humanism should be embraced by all people. Pre-Christian religions believed that animals and nature had spirits and were, and that humans could um, communicate with them. <clears throat> While this idea might sound nice because you have already been subtly brainwashed into that idea, um, this is not a biblical concept. 
However, it is handy for posthumans to point to indigenous peoples during a political time period when people have heightened sensitivity to the oppressive treatment and murder of various groups in colonial times. Yet, we we must not be deceived by these attempts to draw us into paganism. Posthumanists do not care about indigenous people or any people. Their goal is to reduce the status of humans, not raise the status of indigenous people. It is simply a means to an end for them. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is how they describe themselves and their work to change education and culture. Post-humanists broaden the Anthropocene discussion by enriching the climate change crisis debate with socioeconomic and labor relations intertwined in it and by urging to abandon the ideologues of capitalistic consumerist ideology, individualism, universalism, and self-determinism, which breed dogmatic tendencies of domination, exploitation, and the abuses of science and technology grounded in rationality and the illusion of separateness. Okay, that was a quote by Rosie Bredotti. She is a feminist, philosopher, theoretician, and her latest book is called Post-Human Feminism. And she says that feminists must become post-humanist. You might think that someone like her was a harmless academic, but her ideas are definitely being taught in colleges. In the, in the next article from UNESCO Canada, the author describes how she views the current educational system. She says that it is grounded in a patriarchal humanist worldview of the developed Western world and its colonial outreaches. The humanist subject emerging from this worldview is a white, able-bodied, cisgendered, heterosexual male, which places all other humans in positions of inferiority and thereby justifies regimes of oppression that continue to plague our societies. Via industrialization and globalization, this view has become dominant. And how can post-humanists fix that? She says that uh, we need new modes of teaching that disrupt old ways of thinking and create new knowledges. She says that teachers have to change how they teach and stop seeing themselves as authoritative detached, knowledgeable others. Okay, in another article from UNESCO, um, this article is from August of 2022. So that tells you that post-humanism is growing. It's not, it's not a fringe um, idea. 
So this was on an, in an article called Transformation to a Post-Human World. Can systems thinking support transformative change? Well, systems thinking was started in the 70s by Donella Meadows, who wrote the majority of the famous article, maybe you've heard of it, Limits to Growth. This was the famous study that the Club of Rome used to predict that the, the world was going to find, uh, find itself in a climate disaster if we didn't stop, you know, producing so many goods and having so many babies. So this is what um, the author of that says. Widespread pollution, climate change, and biodiversity loss are undesirable consequences of global capitalism and industrialization. These crises arose from the belief that humans are both separate from and can control nature. Post-humanism is a new Western philosophy that does not separate humans from the natural world. This is also consistent with evidence from the field of molecular biology, which recognizes that humans are an inseparable part of and have co-evolved with nature. This radical change in Western worldview provides a foundation for thinking about how societies might change to meet current sustainable challenges. That is because worldviews often give rise to the laws and policies that govern the relationship between people and nature. Okay, and then I have another um, article from the IAFOR Journal of Education from back in 2016, where they discuss some bizarre, well, they're kind of like metaphysical um, techniques, okay? And these are, are ways that post-humanism can um, learn to control reality and also communicate with inanimate objects. <laughs> so I'm, if you want to read all that, you can go to my blog because I don't want to make this too long. Because I want to move on to my idea that post-humanism is actually a metaphysical theory that stems from Gaia theory. Okay, and the Gaia hypothesis, this is a quote from an article, is uh, named after the ancient Greek goddess of Earth. It posits that Earth and its biological systems behave as a huge single entity. So back to pantheism, right? This entity has closely controlled self-regulatory negative feedback loops that keep the conditions on the planet within boundaries that are favorable to life. Hmm, almost like uh, someone designed the earth, right? Of course, we know that God created the earth with self-regulatory feedback loops, <laughs> seasons and, you know, the sun and the moon and the stars. God made those. Um, and of course, according to these people, it all just happened by chance. Um, the idea of Gaia was conceived by chemist and inventor James Lovelock and biologist Lynn Margulis. This new way of looking at global ecology and evolution differs from the classical picture of ecology as a biological response to a menu of physical conditions. 
the idea of co-evolution of biology in the physical environment, where each influences the other, was suggested as early as the mid-1700s, but never as strongly as Gaia, which claims the power of biology to control the non-living environment. More recently, the terms Gaian science or Gaian theory have become more common than the original Gaia hypothesis because of modifications in response to criticisms and expansion of our scientific understanding. James Lovelock's work has changed the way scientists look at everything from the common cold to life on Mars. He invented a device that detected ozone-damaging CFCs in the atmosphere all around the world, a precursor to the detection of holes in the ozone layer. James Lovelock's revolutionary insights about the Earth behaving like a living being, a single, complex, self-regulating system, reframed the way environmentalists understand the Earth. He named the idea after the ancient Greek goddess of Earth, Gaia. Gaia is the name given to the system of organisms that live on the Earth and that maintain its climate suitable for life. But James Lovelock's Gaia is no kindly goddess protecting humankind from itself. He argues that humans have pushed Gaia to its limit. And whilst the Earth will eventually rebalance itself, it may be too late for the human race unless humans start making drastic changes. Humans have many options if they want to save themselves and the planet. This is his four-point plan to save humankind. By 2050, 140 million people could be forced to migrate within their countries because of climate change. But why wait? James Lovelock believes land that will be made uninhabitable should be abandoned now. Humans should retreat to efficient, safe, climate-controlled cities. Humans should go to megacities if they want to avoid the worst dangers of climate change, mainly because a city is a smaller unit to control and regulate the, co the composition of the atmosphere, the soil, rather similar to the nest of invertebrates of various kinds, ants, wasps, bees, whereas the open space of the planet itself is huge and not easy to handle. According to James Lovelock, humans need to rethink the way they power the world ditching fossil fuels and switching not just to renewable, but to nuclear power. If we want to avoid damaging the planet by our way of life, do not burn fuel unnecessarily. We should be using nuclear power now as our main source of energy. Fears around nuclear energy have been compounded by disasters like Chernobyl and Fukushima. But for James Lovelock, these fears remain misplaced. The, the extraordinary thing is it is the safest way of producing electricity. The death rate for, in power stations that use nuclear is way, way, way below that in any of the other forms, including renewables. 
global warming may be the biggest threat facing humanity. Attempts to cut carbon emissions are too small to reduce carbon dioxide levels. James Lovelock thinks climate controlling technology, called geoengineering, could be the answer. I rather like Keller's idea, the inventor of the hydrogen bomb, which is the sunshade. It's a kind of mesh screen that goes out into a heliocentric orbit around the sun and shields the Earth to the sun at the scent of the sun's radiation. But there's another way to build a sunshade inside the Earth's atmosphere. In 1991, a volcanic eruption in the Philippines had a profound effect on the world. The gas cloud it produced reached the stratosphere, cooling the world by as much as 0.5 degrees Celsius for four years. The simplest thing was really to mimic volcanoes and put sulphur gases into the stratosphere to form a haze that blocks off sunshine. That would prevent overheating from the sun. James Lovelock's boldest prescription emerges from his belief that the Earth is on the verge of a new era, one where the dominant form of life is artificial. I'm not concerned just with the evolution of lumps of flesh that can move around and do things managed by a, a, a somewhat primitive intelligence. No, I think it's the evolution of intelligence that is the key driver in the Darwinian process. He believes artificial intelligence, cyborgs, will move beyond human control, generating intelligences far greater than our own. They will be far more capable than humans of tackling climate change. I would hope that cyborgs would do a much better job of protecting the planet than humans have done because they can think 10,000 times faster. If they work strenuously hard to keep the temperature of the planet at a safe and desirable point, uh, it would benefit them and enormously benefit us. Homo sapiens has been the dominant species on Earth for tens of thousands of years. If the human race is to survive, James Lovelock believes the key is for it to surrender its position of privilege and give way to more intelligent life. We might think that cyborgs would be very bored with humans and wouldn't want to watch them at all because they're so boring. But then I would say, but you go to Cube Gardens, don't you, to watch the plants grow. But of course, there are things that even AI would struggle to control. Do I think humans can be saved from the numerous threats that exist in the cosmos? I don't know. I hope so. Okay, that was a video from the Economist channel on YouTube called Attention How to Medicare Save... Oops. This is an announcement about Medicare... Sorry. How to Save Humankind, according to James Lovelock. And this was put out um, three years ago uh, when he died um, at a, age 103. 
I believe that that, that is the foundation for the current uh, post-humanism, even if they wouldn't all agree with me. The central thesis of post-humanism is that man is simply one part of a total system and definitely not the most important part. They believe that the earth and the world will continue to function just fine without humans. And they welcome the demotion of humans to a lower part. They, they claim that they don't want any kind of hierarchies. But I believe that they want nature to be elevated above man. They especially want to knock the male race, the male uh, sex, off of the pedestal because these people hate men. <laughs> and that's a satanic thing. It's not hard to see how this kind of thinking can lead to the following. Turning government over to artificial intelligence. Growing food in a bioreactor. Not, not food, but bacteria and mushrooms and, you know. In other words, these people want to create like God did. Herding people into cities. That's what they did in Bible times. Sterilization of women. Promotion of transgender surgery. Glorification of non-reproductive sex, which is homosexual sex and um, hookup sex and, you know, all kinds of things. Elevating the preservation of nature above the preservation of humans. The breaking down of families as the, um, the most important unit of society. And the end of individual rights. All of those are things that just, th those are the results of post-humanist thinking. Now, it can be hard for some people to see the danger of the idea that of, you know, making humans and nature equal. But the problem is that when we do this, we remove God's biblical truth. And the, the biblical, the Bible says that God created the universe. He created animals, nature, and and then people separately. People have a soul and a spirit and a personality, and they are going to, people can live eternal lives with God. The Bible doesn't say anything about animals having souls, and I know some people rebel against that idea. However, these post-humanists are are, they don't even recognize that, that they are self-hating, self-destructive, and self-deceived. They don't see that they are tools of the devil who has desired to eliminate man from the earth since God first created him. They are worshiping their own wisdom and attempting to be God, just like Satan. However, they will regret it. Because we cannot disregard God and expect things to go well. So what does Romans 
chapter 1, verse 21 through 25 say. It says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. He's talking about worshiping idols. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves. He's talking about sexual sin. And they changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So who is the creature? Well, not only is it all that nature that people are worshiping, but it's also the devil. The devil is a creature. He is not a creator. And humans are not creators either. We can be innovators and we can um, come up with new ways of doing things, but we cannot create something from nothing. And that is what God did. So I, I hope that this has made some sense. And I really think this is a very important, um, I think we need to warn people about this stealth message that is going under the guise of climate activism. I mean, it's it's everywhere. And when you start to look at it as post-humanism, you see it everywhere. It is, it is an attempt to destroy humanity, which is because the devil has been rebelling against God since the beginning. And he is a, he is a liar and he is a murderer and he will do whatever it takes to trick people into rejecting truth. And that's what these post-humanists are doing. They are trying to create a new truth. Now, I think they know that it's not going to be easy, but because of the power of technology and we just have they have so many more options now to convince people and social media is one of them but they're going to use every means at their disposal but they're going to start with your child in school of and they're going to teach them <laughs> that nature is a, the just all these things i just told you about nature being equal to humans i mean it's going to it's going to sound good that's the thing about the devil's lies is they always, there's always like, they're sugar-coated. It's going to sound good and logical if you don't know how it's the little part where it veers off from the truth. And if you don't know the Bible, if you don't know God as the creator, if you're raised believing in evolution and chance, you're going to latch on to these kind of ideas quickly and easily. And we already see that happening.
And, you know, I, I started off this, uh, this research, I was researching critical race theory, and I was going to revisit that topic. And somehow I uh, came across this word post-humanism, and I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> this is the real story. So I urge you to share this podcast with, with your friends, because I think this may be one of the most important ones that I've made so far. So thank you again for listening to Blue Skies and Green Pastures.